Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Dan Fermat and welcome to Axios Recap where we dig into one big story. Today is Monday, June 21st. U.S. COVID cases keep going down, but in states like Arkansas, Missouri, they're actually going up, and we're focused on Iran's new president. Over the weekend, Iran elected a new president, Ibrahim Raisi, who's viewed as a hardline conservative, even by Iranian standards. His top domestic issues will be the country's sputtering economy and struggle to contain COVID-19. Three things to know. First, this was a historically uncompetitive election because Raisi's most serious rivals weren't allowed on the ballot. And voters seem to know it with the lowest election participation rate since Iran's 1979 revolution. Two, Iranian presidents serve four-year terms and do have wide-ranging powers. But in the end, it's the country's religious leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who has final say on policies. Three, Khomeini is 82 years old, and analysts say the stage-managed election of Raisi is part of his effort to ensure that conservatives continue to hold power and protect his legacy after he's gone. The latest today is that Raisi says he will not meet with President Biden, despite calling on the U.S. to return to the nuclear deal originally signed by Obama and then rejected by President Trump. Right now, we're in a critical moment for that deal, and Raisi's election increases the urgency to get it done in the coming weeks. So in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on what Iran's election means for the U.S., its neighbors, and its own people, with Axios World Editor David Lawler. But first, this. We're joined now by Axios World Editor David Lawler. So, David, when did Raisi first emerge as a political figure in Iran? His first major, you know, action was back in 1988 when he was a judge on this panel that basically ordered the torture and execution of a number of political prisoners. He wasn't a national figure then, but that's sort of the origin of his, his story as a player in Iran and a very controversial origin story. But more recently, he has become first a presidential candidate in 2017. He lost to the sitting president. And then as of 2019, he became the head of the judiciary in Iran, which is a quite high profile position and set him up for this run. When you're running for president of Iran, does he basically get picked by other people to kind of be an heir to Ayatollah Khomeini's leadership and legacy? 600 people registered to run in this election, of which only seven were approved. And out of that, only four actually ended up competing in the election. There was no strong moderate candidate allowed to run. And it seemed very much like they were clearing the field for Raisi to be the uh, handpicked president from the supreme leader. He's very much seen as a loyalist. Every step along his career, he's been given jobs by the supreme leader. So he's a close confidant of the supreme leader. And that is his main qualification for being president of Iran. When you say cleared the field, you in part mean other people weren't allowed to run, correct? We're not allowed to run. There's a guardian council in Iran, and usually they leave some ideological diversity, I'd guess, among the candidates. In the past, we've had moderates running against hardliners. We've had some wins for moderates in recent elections. This time, no moderates were allowed to run. So it was, even by Iranian standards, an uncompetitive election. What do you make of the fact that fewer than 50 percent of eligible voters actually showed up to the polls? 
Yeah, I think it showed that for a lot of people who were looking for a more reformist candidate, they had nobody to vote for. And so there was sort of an, an organized movement to say, hey, don't bother. This is a charade. Don't bother going out and vote. And so that that made, you know, Raisi 62 percent of the vote that he got a little bit. There's an asterisk there because, you know, a lot of the people who would have voted for someone other than him just didn't turn up at all. Let's talk about a couple of domestic issues here. Can you paint a bit of a picture of what economic life is currently like in Iran? So uh, there's really struggling even before the pandemic, due in part to U.S. sanctions, but also this has been uh, an economy that's been something of a you know basket case for years now. They can't sell oil on the international markets in the way that they'd like. Obviously, that's the key export for Iran. And so there's a real imperative there to try to get these sanctions lifted, which is why we're still talking about the Iran nuclear deal and the potential uh, of putting a deal together to get those sanctions off. So really for him, the domestic and the foreign policy are, are linked, inextricably linked. They are linked. There's also the COVID element as well. And Iran has, has been hit very hard uh, by the pandemic, both uh, in terms of health and also economically. So he has a lot to handle other than the Iran deal. But I think the urgency will be very much around finalizing this deal. Can you give us a sense on how severe COVID still is in Iran? Yeah, so Iran still only has something like 3% of the population vaccinated. And there, there are still quite a few cases in Iran, cases and deaths. And, and the numbers have not always been the most reliable out of Iran, but we certainly have a sense that this has been a very severe pandemic there. And they don't really have the same escape route that we had at the moment in the U.S., which is where we had this big vaccination program. Iran is still stuck in sort of the depths of the pandemic. And that's certainly a drag on the economy as well, which, as we've mentioned, was already hit by U.S. sanctions. Can you just quickly explain for folks who don't know what the Iran nuclear deal is and how Raisi feels about it? Basically, this is a deal in which the U.S. and other world powers came together to say we will lift existing sanctions on Iran if Iran will live within these nuclear restrictions. Iran's nuclear program will be back in the box is the quote, right? So there'll, there'll be a long period of time, at least a year, in which there will be a heads up if Iran starts to make a break toward a nuclear weapon. So that was the idea, to put some guardrails on the nuclear program and to give Iran some sanctions relief. The listeners will remember probably that President Trump withdrew the U.S. from the deal, reapplied those sanctions and a bunch of other sanctions. And so we had a really hard policy under Trump and Biden is trying to put that old deal back together again. But you have Raisi today saying he will not meet with President Biden. He, he won't meet with Biden unless the nuclear deal is reinstated. But it's maybe hard to imagine Biden reinstating the nuclear deal without meeting with Raisi. What they're hoping, actually, and I spoke to a senior U.S. official on Friday about what they're hoping here, and they want to get this deal done before Raisi comes in. They have about six weeks to do that. Uh, they've already had six rounds of talks in Vienna. And so the idea is both because it's easier for a lame duck administration and a more moderate administration, frankly, to agree to this deal. Then you have this hardliner come in and he right away has to make this deal. In terms of why he won't meet with Biden, he's in this sort of anti-Western school of Iranian politicians. He's not the kind of guy who's saying we need to do outreach to the U.S. and to the West. Uh, so his perspective seems to be, yes, we'll let the Iran negotiations happen. Hopefully we get a deal to lift sanctions. The big question is, is he willing to negotiate with the U.S. beyond that about Iran's other activity or even extending the nuclear deal? And the signals there are that he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy who will entertain the broader discussion with the U.S. So you say Biden probably wants to get the, back in the Iran nuclear deal prior to Raisi taking office. Once Raisi does take office, how does that shift the Biden administration's strategy for the country? 
What the Biden administration would like to do is get the program back in the box, as they say it, with this deal. But they view that as phase one. Then they want to have broader diplomacy with Iran that tackles both extending the timelines of this nuclear deal and also dealing with some of Iran's other activity in the region. You know, it's it's proxy forces around the Middle East, it's missile program, etc. And so that's the question. Is it just that we'll, you know, revive the existing nuclear deal and then that's it? Or is there some willingness on the part of this new administration to continue to engage with the U.S. beyond this first step? We keep referring to Raisi as the president. In the U.S., that's a very big deal. And it's a big deal in Iran, too. But in the end, how much power does he have vis-a-vis the religious leader there, the Ayatollah? The Supreme Leader has basically a veto on everything. These nuclear negotiations wouldn't be happening if he didn't have approval on it. So day-to-day running of the country, the government has a lot of responsibility. But sitting above that structure, you have the Supreme Leader. And the big question actually is whether this election sets Raisi up to be the next Supreme Leader. And he's currently seen as perhaps the most likely candidate. The the existing Supreme Leader is 82 years old. So there's going to be a transition before too, too long in Iran. David Lawler, editor of Axios World, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Welcome back. What we're watching today are airlines, which are once again having a tough time flying, despite leisure demand having returned to pre-pandemic levels. The latest is that American Airlines has canceled nearly 100 flights scheduled for today, after having canceled over 250 on Saturday and Sunday due to what it calls staffing and maintenance issues. On the staffing side... Part of this is due to all the early retirements and buyouts that American offered early in the pandemic. Another part relates to contractors, like catering service and wheelchair service providers, who, like so many others in the service sector, are struggling to find employees. Now, all of this follows the air travel nightmare of last week, when Southwest grounded its entire fleet due to a glitch with its weather data software. Delta and Alaska Airlines were also negatively impacted. The bottom line is that Americans are ready to fly, but the airlines might not be. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Singani, and Alex Sugiara. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you're not already subscribed to or following the podcast, do so. Have a great national selfie day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap. <laughs>